power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech Podcast feed. Ready for your weekly tech fix? Want to know how technology sets us free? Well, get ready because here it comes. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, entrepreneur and technophile Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now, here's Brian. Here he is, the man in, well, the man that's always in triple black. It is I, Brian Sovereign, your host. Uh, pleasure to be with you, as always. And as always, also, another great show lined up. We got some. Uh, we got a couple of good articles we're going to go into, and you're going to notice this show is going to run a little bit longer than previous shows have. Um, I'm going to. I'm experimenting with longer formats. Some people think I, I don't spend enough time on certain topics, uh, but I wanted to make sure that the show was accessible. And I know everybody's very, very busy uh, every day in what they do, and so I didn't want it to, uh, you know, to take too much of your time. But apparently, people want more, so you'll get more of me, and there's plenty of me to go around. <laughs> Uh, so here we go. We'll go right into the stories. Uh, actually, before I do, let me, let me, uh, a couple of, uh, a couple of episodes back, I think it was, I mentioned how I had started using my Android phone, my Galaxy Nexus, the famed band phone for two weeks in America. Uh, how I've been using it as pretty much my laptop everywhere I go when I go to, uh, go, go to work at Free Talk Live, uh, you know, or, or wherever. And, you know, with a Bluetooth keyboard and everything. And something else I'm going to try uh, very soon, uh, the company called iRig, who have come up with very popular products and software for the iPhone, are going to be releasing their same, you know, all their high-end, excuse me, all their high-end equipment for uh, for Android. And they make podcasting equipment and even software that goes right onto, you know, the Android phone or tablet and you can use it to, uh, you know, to, to do podcasts on the go. And I think I might experiment with that. In fact, one of their devices even lets you hook up uh, XLR microphones, which is what I use uh, here at the Stephanie Murphy studios, Stephanie Murphy, our wonderful producer. And so maybe I'll give that a shot and see just exactly how that goes, what happens. Um, and I, I think that could be pretty cool. Uh, maybe I'll do some sovereign tech when I'm at the Liberty forum in 2013 this year, uh, which I will be there. And if anyone else is there and you're looking for me, uh, if you don't know what I look like, I'll post a picture up on the Tumblr page. That's at sovereigntech.tumblr.com. Uh, and you can, you know, you get to see what I look like and, and, you know, come up and say, hi, that's fine. You know, I, 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 I can be a bit of a socialite if I want. So it works for me. Okay, so let's get into the story. Uh, this is interesting stuff. This is from Scientific American, which is interesting that it's coming up in this, this uh, you know, uh, periodical. Uh, and it's Why Touchscreens Will Not Take Over. And it's by David Pogue. Um, and so why is this a big deal right now? What, what is all this about touchscreens? Well, obviously there's the tablet market, obviously your smartphone that you use, be it iPhone or Android, uh, or as far as tablets go, if your Nexus 7 or your Kindle Fire HD or your iPad, whatever you're using, they all use touchscreen, okay? 
And they work really well for what those are, for those devices. But why it's not going to take over, because here's the thing. The bulk of productivity is still done. Now, this, now again, I'm saying productivity, not not so much, you know, I, when I say productivity, I mean like Photoshop and, um, you know, sound editing and movie editing and things like that. Um, you have Windows 8, which everybody's kind of touch and go on. Uh, the only people that aren't touch and go on Windows 8 is Microsoft themselves, because they're betting the farm on this one. Um, if Windows 8 fails, I'm, Microsoft could become a video game console company entirely. <laughs> I mean, that that's just a, you know, a speculation, but it's possible. Anyway, so you have Windows 8, which uses, you know, it has these tiles that go across. They used to call it Metro. Now it has a, a totally different name for, for you know, ridiculous uh, uh, copyright, whatever reasons. And it's designed to be touched. Okay. It's designed with, you know, your finger in mind and you know, this is on your big desktop. This isn't on the Microsoft surface, which looks like a great product, especially the surface pro. This isn't on, uh, you know, on your, you know, the similar styles used on like Microsoft phones on windows eight phones, which are great. Um, you know, it's, it's used on all kinds of things and it works fine for that, but for the, you know, sit down or even stand up, uh, use of a full-on desktop computer or even laptop, um, this could be a problem. Anyway, let's get to the article, uh, Why Touchscreens Will Not Take Over by David Pogue here on Scientific American. For decades, the cynical observer could be forgiven for viewing Microsoft as a giant copying machine. The inspiration for just about every major Microsoft initiative can be traced back to a successful predecessor, uh, Windows... Macintosh, Internet Explorer, Netscape, Bing, Google, Zune, the iPod. But in late 2012, Microsoft broke from the pack. It made a billion-dollar gamble that personal computing is taking a new direction. The gamble was Windows 8, and the direction is touch. Using a series of fluid, light finger taps and swipes across the screen on a PC running Windows 8, you can open programs, flip between them, navigate, adjust settings, and split the screen between apps, among other functions. It's fresh, efficient, and joyous to use, all on a touchscreen tablet. But this, of course, is not some special touchscreen edition of Windows. This is THE Windows. It's the operating system that Microsoft expects us to run on our tens of millions of everyday PCs for screens that do not respond to touch. Microsoft has built-in mouse and keyboard equivalents for each tap and swipe. Yet these methods are second-class citizens meant to be a crutch during these transitional times, the phase after which Microsoft bets touch will finally have to come to all computers. Not, now, see, not just tablets or your smartphone, but to everything. At first, you might think touch has been incredibly successful on our phones, tablets, airport kiosks, and cash machines. Why not on our computers? I'll tell you why. Because of Gorilla Arm. There are three big differences between these handy touch screens and a PC screen. Angle, distance, and time interval. The screen of a phone or tablet is generally more or less horizontal. The screen of a desktop or laptop on a desk, however, is more or less vertical. Phone, tablet, and kiosk screens, furthermore, are usually close to your body, but desktop and laptop screens are usually a couple of feet away from you. You have to reach out and you reach out to touch them. And then there is the inter interval issue. You don't sit there all day using a phone, tablet, or airport kiosk as you do with a PC. 
Finally, you're not just tapping big, friendly finger, uh, finger-friendly icons. You're trying to make tiny, precise movements on the glass on a vertical surface at arm's length. When Windows 7 came out, offering a touch mode for the first time, I spent a few weeks living with a couple of touchscreen PCs. It was a miserable experience. Part of the problem was that the targets, buttons, scroll bars, and menus that were originally designed for a tiny arrow cursor were too small for my fat human fingers. The problem was the tingling ache that came from extending my right arm to manipulate the screen for hours, an affliction that has earned the nickname of Gorilla Arm. Uh, it's also, uh, some experts say Gorilla Arm is what killed touch computing during its first wave in the early 1980s. Aha! Interesting. Touchscreen is not new. Well, what is? Another problem is finger grease. You can clean a phone screen by wiping it on your jeans, but that's not, a conve- not as convenient with a 32-inch monitor. Boy, no kidding. Now, half of Windows 8 addresses half of the touchscreen problems. Uh, Windows 8 is actually two operating systems in one. The beautiful fluid front end is ideal for touch, only the underlying Windows desktop has the small to two small targets problem. The angle and distance of PC screens are tougher nuts to crack. Microsoft is betting that Windows 8 will be so attractive that we won't mind touching our PC screens, at least until the PC concept, concepts, uh, concept fades away entirely. Yet although PC sales have slowed, they won't be zero anytime soon. My belief is that touchscreens make sense on mobile computers, but not on stationary ones. Microsoft is making a gigantic bet that I'm wrong. And that's a great article. And it raises a a ton of great points, uh, many of which I agree with. I do not see touchscreen computing going away anytime soon. Or, I mean, I I do not see touchscreen computing, as with desktops or laptops, ever taking over or anytime soon. So what's going to happen here? Um, you know, what, what, if the touchscreen isn't going to take over, what happens to Microsoft? Well, there is obviously you can wait for Windows 9, since Windows 8 is the one that has this, this huge problem, like the gorilla arm problem. Or it's also called like zombie hands, where you, if you picture like, you know, you're, you're kind of George Romero zombie, uh, you know, sticking its arms out. Uh, because you're sitting back, you're relaxing, you're enjoying, or even if you're intensely into something, uh, you know, you're using your keyboard and mouse, you know, and that's something that this article didn't raise was gaming. A lot of PC gamers, and rightfully so, they still use, um, excuse me, they still use the, you know, uh, keyboard and mouse solution for their first person shooters or for real time strategy games. Forget it. You're not for real time strategy games. Uh, you're just you're not going to use a controller. I know they've tried it. I played Red Alert 3 on the PS3 before. Um, and while the, the you know, the version of the game was really good and it had a lot of stuff that the PC one didn't even have, um, the controls were just, were a mess. And they've tried this before. There was Star, StarCraft 64, you know, with the Nintendo 64 a few years ago, not the Commodore 64. Um, and it, 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 it didn't fly. You know, they never took off. They never got mass produced because, I mean, and they've tried, but it just, it's just not the same. And so you're not only killing, you know, the way we use computers, you're killing a gaming aspect of things, which, you know, this is an interesting point to, to make is that if it weren't for gaming on computers, on PCs, and I suppose one could arguably say Photoshop as well, most people could get away with using Windows 95, 
I, I know that might sound kind of startling, but really, Windows 95 had everything. It had Internet Explorer, uh, you know, it had, I think it even had, might have even, well, maybe it didn't have Flash yet, but it, it had it all. There, there's no need, in fact, uh, something I talk about on the show a lot and that I use to even make the show, PortableApps.com, um, the Portable Apps platform can run on Windows 95. You know, be, because it can handle all that, all this modern stuff that we do. And Portable Apps does everything modern. It has all the latest versions of, you know, whatever you could think of. And so you, you, you don't want to go snubbing the gamers because they're half the reason. Not businesses. Businesses take forever. I mean, businesses were like Microsoft in particular gets a lot of its money from um, when businesses, you know, like upgrade their servers and everything and, and their entire infrastructures, you know, with a new version of Windows. That's where they get a lot of their big money. But the people who the word of mouth that sells Microsoft has been the gamers and it's been that way for a good 20 years. And to snub them, and that's what you've done, and Gabe Newell, the head of, of Steam, or the head of Valve, which, which owns Steam, which is the number one gaming platform, uh, pla- you know, software uh, provider, we'll say, on, on, on Windows, uh, he said Windows 8's a disaster. You know, I mean, he, in, in, in not so many words, maybe, but I mean, but that, that was his whole point, is like, this is a joke, and I'm going to go run off to Linux. And that may be the big thing that happens with this is that these companies, because Apple's doing this too. Don't, don't think Apple's, you know, innocent here. Apple's going to push for this touchscreen. They're, they're just going to let, they're going to see if Microsoft fails and maybe they can, uh, you know, they can pick up the pieces and figure out a better way to do it. Um, I don't think they would have ever done it with Steve Jobs still in charge. There's a very famous interview uh, at a D5, at uh, All Things D, the, the D5 conference where, uh, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs were were on stage together. It was really amazing. I've watched it quite a few times. And there's a point where Steve Jobs even says, he's like, look, you know, we still drive our cars with steering wheels. Why do you think we're going to get rid of, you know, the mouse and keyboard? But I think Tim Cook, who is looking for some way to make a name for himself after Steve Jobs' death, uh, I think he'd be just dumb enough to try this, you know, to, to try this out. Maybe they would come out with a slightly more efficient way to do it. Uh, you know, I'll give them that. And, and I wouldn't call them copycats because boy, if Microsoft hasn't copied off of Apple forever, you know, uh, what's the classic line from pirates of Silicon Valley where, uh, um, no, no, whatever his name is. Anyway, he's playing Steve jobs and he just, you know, screams out, you're stealing from us. And, and Microsoft was, of course, Apple stole from Xerox in the first place. You know, the entire graphical interface that that was totally Xerox, just Xerox's, uh, you know, the, the corporate heads there uh, had their corporate heads up their corporate butts and couldn't realize, you know, what a wonderful thing that the mouse was. Um, but anyway, so, you know, this is something Microsoft has been working on for a while, though. This isn't something they're going into blindly, uh, with windows Vista, they started giving you the option of making the icons bigger and even HP and Dell started selling touchscreen computers at that time. And that's because this is the direction Microsoft's been trying to go for quite some time. This isn't new to them. So if anyone's going to actually pull it off, uh, you know, they've got the money to, to hopefully live through it or whatever. Uh, but they might pull it off, but I, I just, I don't see it. I, I don't think it's going to take off as far as, I mean, unless Surface becomes really popular and it has a right to do so. The Surface Pro, I think is an impressive looking piece of machinery and I might pick one up myself. If so, obviously I'll review it on Sovereign Tech for all of you. Um, but th- another, another thing that, that Microsoft might do is when Microsoft nine comes around to releasing, if they make it that far, 
And, and they will. I mean, when I say they're going to go bankrupt, I don't mean that. I mean, just they're going to get to the point. Right now, Microsoft's at the point, uh, Google's at this point, too, and I think so is Apple, to where they can take a risk. They can do whatever they want, and they could take a ton of risks, actually, a million risks. And, you know, they have enough money to, to keep going without having to, like, fire a bunch of people or whatever. But what Microsoft might do is they'll come out with Microsoft 9, and then they'll say, they'll, they'll do, the, like, this great, great uh, marketing scheme and say, look, yeah, I know this was, you know, this, this windows eight stuff, this touch stuff was kind of crazy, but come on back. We brought back the classic, you know what I mean? And if they were clever and if, if they actually do this, you heard it here first, um, they might do something clever where since it's windows nine, they somehow might like do a, a kind of a, a flashback type advertising thing for windows 95. Get it? You know, nine. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that, you know, so I could see that happening now, if Ballmer, Steve Ballmer, the head of Microsoft comes out and says, you know, well, Hey, well, this was the plan the whole time or something like that. Or we always knew this, uh, that, that, that's crazy, but, but they might, you know, could the company, could Microsoft as a company now companies will do what I'm about to tell you. Companies will do this. I've seen it. I've been in the boardrooms when they've said it, uh, that they'll come out with a garbage product you know, or not, not garbage, but something so weird, but then they'll fall on the back plan that if, you know, it doesn't take off or whatever works out, you know, they'll keep that. And then, then they will do exactly like I said, where they'll like, you know, come back to the classic way of using windows and all that stuff. Um, I don't think they're doing that on purpose. I don't think they're trying to shake things up because again, where they make their most money, is off of businesses, is off of corporations. And to try and sell them something crazy on their infrastructure, I mean, they would just lose customers and they would all run, and all those customers, because they wasted so much money on Windows 8 and then Microsoft comes back, you know, five, six years later, if not sooner, like the difference between Vista and 7, um, you know, come back and Microsoft comes back to these companies and says, hey, you know, well, now we have Windows 9 and everything's fixed. They'll run to Ubuntu. Because then they can just deploy pretty much for free and they pay for the technical support, which doesn't cost a tenth of what they're paying Microsoft. Um, but it's a strange thing, you know, uh, and I'll, I'll just toss this in there in case anyone's asking. You know, I, I get this question a lot uh, because for whatever reason, people value my opinions on, on all kinds of things, but particularly tech stuff. And, you know, should I upgrade to Windows 8? If you're buying a computer and it has Windows 8 on it, that's fine. Deal with it. But an interesting thing is that a lot, a lot of companies like Origin PC uh, and some of the other like really high-end computer companies, they're giving you the option right now to, well, do you want 8 or do you want to stick with 7? Because I think they know a 7 was a great product. Now, 7 came off the heels of Vista, which was a flop, a terrible, terrible flop. Uh, not because there's really anything wrong with it. It's just because com not everybody owned a computer that could run it yet. And... Uh, so, you know, when people wanted to upgrade, um, you know, there wasn't enough there to up, to want to upgrade to, and, but, but it took these amazing specs and the world just wasn't ready for it. But seven solved all that seven did a, you know, great job. Seven, uh, XP I've always said will probably go down as the greatest operating windows. XP will go down as the greatest operating system in history. And it had over a decade run. I mean, that, that's amazing in computer history. Uh, but seven might match that. 
down the line. I, I will continue to use seven for a very windows seven for a very, very long time. And the advantage to windows seven over windows XP that might make it last even longer is because windows seven doesn't have the limitations of like Ram where windows XP couldn't run more than four gig of Ram unless you had the 64 bit edition, you know, windows seven can handle, you know, tons of Ram and it has all the latest direct X stuff and everything. So anyway, save your money. Don't go buying into the whole touchscreen thing unless, you know, it's just a toy you want to have fun with. This is Brian Sovereign, and I'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with me, Brian Sovereign, the man who always wears triple black. Sovereign Tech is a show about science and technology and how it can set you free. Remember, Sovereign Tech only endorses businesses and products that we genuinely believe in and support ourselves. If you have a product or website that you would like to have reviewed, you can email the show at SovereignTech at Hush.ai. Please keep in mind that the reviews on Sovereign Tech pull no punches. Thanks for listening. Tech Roulette. Want to play? Oh, let's play it. Let's play Tech Roulette. And this uh, article that I'm that I uh, eeny miny mode uh, to pick today actually was submitted by the producer of the show, the lovely and intelligent Stephanie Murphy. And the it comes from TechCrunch, a uh, great website, obviously. And it's part of their best of series. Um, and this is 2012. The year crowdfunding was kickstarted into the mainstream, and it's by Matt Burns. And Matt Burns is a you know a great blogger uh, as well. I think he's an actual journalist. Um, so here we go. We'll go right into the article and we'll talk about it after. There we were, circled around a bachelor party campfire and drunk on keg beer, blah, whatever, discussing the viability of using Kickstarter to fund a sex toy startup. Now that's a good idea. Drinking not so much. But that's sex toy startups. Great idea. My buddy Dirk, he goes by Dangerous D at karaoke, had designed and handmade a compact speed controller for small vibrators. He was selling them at $75 a pop, and apparently, I've yet to see or try one, they were getting rave reviews. Dangerous D's magic box, he called it. Another friend and I were passionately trying to convince him to quit his job as store manager and start a sex toy startup. We were positive and a bit drunk that all he needed was a successful Kickstarter campaign. The video would obviously be key video being the, uh, you know, the pitch to, to, to everybody for the sex toy, which I think, Hey, let, let's use Kickstarter to, to do anything as far as sex goes. I think that's fabulous. It was then I knew that 2012 was the year of crowdfunding. It's a household term now. This year saw the birth of the Pebble smartwatch, iPhone-powered guitar, guitar, the Ouya gaming system, which I love, open-source Android gaming system to take on the big three. Yeehaw. Uh, that, that was Brian, me, Brian, adding that in. And literally tens of thousands of arts, media, and design projects. And these were just on Kickstarter. Other projects turned to Indiegogo, Rock the Post, and Quirky. Some startups, like Lockatron, even went at it alone, conducting their own crowdfunding campaign themselves. This includes also, uh, the article doesn't mention this, but Robert Space Industries is its own personal kind of Kickstarter. They eventually teamed up with Kickstarter later on, but they're creating, they're run by the great 
Christopher Roberts, and they're going to be coming out with an amazing game. They they made something like six seven million dollars to do this, uh, to make a Squadron Forty Two Star Citizen, which uh, I really can't wait for. Anyway, back to the article. It has never been easier to realize a dream. That is the truth. No longer do starving artists and hustling entrepreneurs have to trudge through early stages without any crash. Crowdfunding makes it possible to find funds with very few few strings attached. Services like Kickstarter and Indiegogo simply allow for pre-orders or goodwill investments. No need to sell equity to fund a startup. Others like Quirky offer an active community and innovative investment strategy. Kickstarter is the dominant force in this field now. The company na- the company's name is nearly a verb for crowdsour- crowdsourcing now. Just kickstart it, Dirk. I pleaded with my homemade sex toy designing buddy. It's as easy as that. I assured one warm summer night on the shore of Hofton Lake in northern Michigan. Another buddy chimed in. Hell, if that dumb smartwatch can get millions, you should be able to get a few thousand without an issue. But it's not, it's not easy to kickstart or rather crowdfund is not a guarantee for success. Although it is one of the best ways to find a project nowadays, to fund a project nowadays. On Kickstarter, unsuccessful projects outnumber ones that met their goals. 11% of projects never received any funding and 34% garnered less than 20%. But 17 projects out of over 81,000 earn more than a million dollars. Those superstar projects gives hope to fledgling startups that they too could catch the eye of the community and skyrocket to popularity 17 out of 81,000 that's better odds that's that's eons better odds than, odds than the lottery so go for it anyway kickstarter's growth has been explosive but the success the success rate has ha- has held steady at around 42 percent in may of 2011 when kickstarter was two years old the company had only seen 20,000 projects with 9,700 failing to meet their funding goal now, in the last days of 2012, the company is at over 81,000 projects with 43,000 failing to find success, but 34,000 were successful. Right now, internet crowdfunding makes it relatively easy to fund a project or startup. Instead of bootstrapping with close friends and family, internet crowdfunding is bootstrapping with anonymous people. In exchange for a bit of cash, these people often just want a memento for their donation. Uh, gadget startups are using crowdfunding a bit differently and are turning to sites like Kickstarter and Indiegogo for pre-orders. Now this is true. Like with the Ouya's people are getting like their names emblazoned on the Ouya. They're getting put, uh, they're getting like early editions of the Ouya's like, uh, you know, the Ouya game system or Ouya, whatever game system, um, that, that was mentioned earlier. And that's really cool. I mean, the amount of the things that you get for this stuff is, is they're genuine collectibles and that, that could be an interesting market in the near future that Kickstarter on created as a byproduct and the article goes on here uh to talk about um the jobs act which is supposed to like help people automatically become part owners in these kickstarter companies um i'm not so keen on that and apparently the government's actually already screwing this up and there's a line here where you know the article says the u.s government will not slow down crowdfunding in 2013 um and it says you know if you need 350 million dollars to launch a satellite well, forget about government grants. Turn to Indiegogo. And absolutely, forget about the government grants. Forget about government. You don't need it. You have no need for it. Um, you know, and it just goes down to say that crowdfunding is the future of how pretty much everything's going to get done. And this is just totally, this is a system that exists out of nowhere. You know, this isn't the, you know, the New York Stock Exchange. This isn't the NASDAQ. This wasn't something that had to be centrally planned and set up, uh, you know, by, by various banks or whatever. This is just... 
you know, it's it, it's it's a form of mutual aid. In fact, the the producer of the show, Stephanie Murphy, she did great a great great talk. I don't know if it's up on YouTube yet uh, at Libertopia in 2012 about um, mutual aid and how crowdfunding, crowdsourcing, Kickstarter are all forms of that. It's a great talk to listen to um, if you can find it. And you know, it's it's the truth. This is all private funding. You know, n- no taxes being taken out here, and things are getting done. And amazing things are coming out. I can't wait for the Ouya Ouya console, Uh, the game I mentioned earlier by by Robert Space Industries. I can't wait for that. There's so many cool things, and and who knows, even bigger things could be. Uh, In other episodes, we talked about like like uh, you know drones that could be that could send first aid or help to places that could be crowdsourced. It's wonderful. The future's bright. We'll be back with more cyber tech. Are you ready? I've never seen anyone so treated like a a god in my life. Brian Sovereign as guest co-host tomorrow night, and so that should be a good show. On that note, uh, what we just we added t- Brian Sovereign. Okay, we haven't. Oh, he is he good? He's been in the audience. He's, oh, yeah, he's certainly got opinions on things. Yes. I'm so close to being like God. No one is above me. Okay, absolutely no one. I don't take <laughs> orders from anybody. And uh, I mean that—that's how much closer to God can you get? Is there anything he doesn't do better than everyone else? Oh, that's just his way of talking. He's one of the best. Break it down. Catch Sovereign Tech, the show about technology and how it can set you free. With me, Brian Sovereign. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N at soundcloud.com slash sovereign tech. Wow. It's a website of the week. It is time for website of the week where we talk about websites that can help you in your life. Uh, hopefully set you free to some degree or at least be free. Um, though sometimes we'll talk about things that cost a little money, but, uh, you know, the wonderful thing where computers, and I think I've said this before, but computers, so much can be done for free, um, due to like, of course, now nobody out there is being a charity. Maybe some people are, but you know, due to like little advertisements on the side and, and, you know, if you can get a product for free and you have these little advertisements and so what? You know what I mean? Not a big deal. Uh, and if the advertisements are, you know, too, too pervasive, like they may be becoming in Facebook um, later in the month of January 2013, then you stop using the product. And, you know, you, you put your wallet, essentially, which is what the advertisements are going after. You put your wallet on the line, which is what speaks to everybody. And then hopefully it'll change. Anyway, this is coming from uh, one of my right now favorite companies, uh, this website of the week. And I featured them a couple times before as well, particularly with their Google Play Music. Yes, this is Google. Where you can, with Google Play Music, you could have, uh, uh, you know, you could upload 20,000 songs for free as compared to Apple or Amazon that, that charges you for, you know, who knows how many songs. And, you know, they... they of course, now those songs are on the internet and you'd have to have an internet connection of some kind, be it on your smartphone with 3G or 4G or wireless or Ethernet, whatever. Um, but you could listen to those songs, you know, told, you can listen to your library anywhere you are, wherever you want. And I think that's a great service. And here's a great service, too. 
Um, and this is Google Voice. Now, this has been around for a while, so a lot of people may already know about it. But if you haven't heard of it or you don't know about its modern applications, that's why I wanted to make it a website of the week because I think it's really important. And what the modern applications, what it does is that it creates a phone number for you and you can receive voicemails, you can text with it, you can call with it, all totally free. If you're internationally, you get incredibly reduced you know, prices as far as things goes. Uh, and in fact, honestly, I think if you're online, it, you know, it, just, it doesn't cost anything anyway. Um, but the modern application for this is that your a lot of your Android phones now can just convert all like like say you're with T-Mobile or or Sprint uh which I use if you're with Sprint you could convert your entire phone system to Google Voice you keep your phone number and you convert it all to Google Voice and then everything just works through that and it is so cool because like with texting if I'm at home and I'm on my computer and I'm texting I can just go to the Google Voice webpage which we'll link to in the show notes and I can just type out the text you know, there, there's programs that do that, like Mighty Text and, and things of that nature. But it, it all gets done like that. And then you can use Google Voice with your phone if you're on a wireless connection. Um, say say you have like an old Android phone that you have nothing to do with and you've got Google Voice on it. You know, if you have a wireless connection around, you can use it as a free phone. You don't have to pay. because And, and, and check, just go check this out. Sign up for it. Um, it's totally free you know, besides the international calls things, but there's so many things you can do with this. It's really, really amazing. And to integrate it with your phone, that is the absolute future and something to ask your carriers about um, if you don't already have it. So we'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace. It is Babylon 5. All fighter squadrons launch. Return fire. Freeze Watch Babylon 5. You can watch Babylon 5 and experience the greatest show in television history. See the entire series completely free by going to the wb.com slash shows slash Babylon 5. Software of the Week. Here we are, Software of the Week. And the Software of the Week is actually, interestingly, kind of the opposite of what we were talking about for our website of the week. And how is it the opposite? What do you mean? And what this is, it's called BlueStacks, okay? Um, And it's an Android emulator. Uh, I talk about emulators now and then, emulators for like Nintendo systems, uh, you know, so you can play Nintendo games on your computer or whatever. But this is actually an Android emulator. And what it is, it's like a virtual operating system. It creates a virtual Android in your, uh, you know, Android interface you know, on your PC. It also works on Mac. Now it's, I think it's in beta, but, but everybody I've heard says it works great. And so in the way that this is the opposite is this is actually taking, you know, as to where Google voice going to your phone is like taking your computer to your phone. This is taking your phone to your computer and you can interlink the two. If you have an Android phone, you can enter because, you know, you get paid apps and all that stuff. And you would still have to do that with this, with this emulator. You, you would, you know, 
to use some of those apps, you'd have to pay for them or find ways to install them uh, through other means. And so, yeah, I mean, you, you Flipboard, you name it, whatever, you know, if you just want to try out apps or if you have an app that you just so really amazingly love or a game even, uh, there are some great games that, that are on Android. Most of them you could get through Steam still. But anyway, if there's just things that you want to use, you know, on Android uh, that exist only on Android, um, I could see where this would be very popular for people in the Apple ecosystem, meaning you use a, a Mac, you know, Mac computer, be it an iMac or, you know, or a MacBook or something, um, or for people who use iPhone a lot. You know, this is an interesting way to get a sneak peek, to get a good look at what the other side does. And it's really great and it works. It's absolutely solid. It, it uses the, um, I mean, if you had a touchscreen computer, which we talked about earlier, isn't a great idea, you could use t- the touchscreen, but otherwise it just uses the mouse and it pretends that that's finger and that interface works really really well um and you know the sky's the limit any program you've got you know you you can put on there and like i said you can actually have your android phone and this program communicate between each other um and you know and and it's it's like uh you know it's like networked computers essentially it's pretty awesome um yeah, and so, you know, check it out. I will link to it uh, at SovereignTech.tumblr.com. Uh, it, obviously, it'll be in the show notes. But BlueStacks is really, really cool. So, you know, so this is an interesting, you know, this is an interesting thing happening here because with Google Voice that we talked about in the last segment and then BlueStacks, suddenly, you know, the, these, the, the, the lines between what is a computer and what's a phone and et cetera, it, you know, are disappearing, and it's all becoming kind of cross-platform, which I love. And it's all coming together to where everything's kind of universal. And that's really great. Now you say, but didn't in the first segment of the show, when you were talking about Windows 8, didn't you say that that was a bad thing? No, because, you know, the mouse works great with this. And this is all, this isn't forced upon you. This is by choice. And yet, if you find it where it makes for a really good system for you, well, then by all means, do it. And equally, you know, this is also another good way. I mentioned earlier a program called Mighty Text that allows you to text on your computer with your telephone number that you have for your cell phone. Um, this also allows for that, you know, so that's an alternative to that even. Uh, it's, I mean, just a really, really cool. The whole thing's in beta. It's not just, I'm sorry, not just the Mac one is in beta, but actually for PC it's in beta as well. But I haven't run into a single problem yet, and I've run all kinds of programs and some pretty high-end games uh, like wild blood and, and, and whatever on there. And, and it just looks great. And I, I really like the cross platform experience. Um, I, I think, it, I think it's cool and it's interesting to see, you know, it, it's kind of an interesting self experiment that you can do is how different does Android work from windows? You know, how different does it work from what you're used to? Are the lines that blurred that everything kind of works the same? And if that's true, how come nobody sued anybody yet? Uh, over the fact that they all work so similarly. Um, and actually I'm intrigued that BlueStacks hasn't, you know, there hasn't been legal action taken against them because you're getting the Android experience essentially, you know, now on Macintosh, you know, not now on, on, on OS X and you know, woo boy, that's, uh, you know, you think Google would take offense because they want you to buy their, or not Google, but whatever company is is pushing the Android platform, and rightfully so, uh, you know, to push the Android platform, not what I'm about to say. But, you know, they, they want you to go out and buy their hardware 
and use Android there. They don't want you to be able to, to experiment with it to get the close eye view without actually getting, you know, to really be in deep with it. And that's the great thing here too, though, is that maybe this will make some converts, not that they need to convert, but maybe this will finally make some converts, especially on the Apple side, uh, towards open source and towards the Android platform, which is open source. And maybe they'll see, oh, wow, look at this. Oh, I can do this. Oh, this is here. There's no difference. Why, why don't I use Android? Why don't I use something that, uh, that isn't so like ecosystem controlled? Uh, because that's something we've talked about in other episodes with like a company like Yandex out of Russia, where you can take an Android phone and you can get Google completely out of the picture. And this, this program here, the Bluestacks uh, app player can do the same thing, you know, I mean, or at least you can experiment. That's another interesting thing too. It's like, okay, I don't want to delete everything off my phone, but I'd wonder what it would be like to do all this stuff without Google things. Here's your chance. Blue stacks. I'll be linking to it in the show notes and on sovereigntech.tumblr.com. This is Brian Sovereign and I'll be right back. What does freedom mean? Tune into LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Brian, stop playing those video games! Uh, 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 just a minute, Mom. Game Talk. My favorite part of the show, Game Talk. Um, this week we've got a, a really, really cool game. A game that shouldn't be. And equally, it shouldn't be free. But it is free. And also equally, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be free and it shouldn't be made by Capcom itself. Amazing. What this is, is Mega Man versus Street Fighter. Uh, as far as I know, this is only available for PC because it downloads as a EXE file, which is a common windows executable, executable file. And, you know, they might port it to something else later. They might port. I'm sure there's people who play PlayStation three or, or whatever else that, that were just dying to get their hands on it. But this actually came out for PC, which is amazing. It, it's a PC, PC exclusive and first, um, and, and it is, it is exactly what it says. It's Mega Man versus street fighter. Now it's an, it's an eight bit. The game looks like eight bit. Okay. It's an eight bit platformer, eight bit, meaning it looks like the original Nintendo entertainment system. It looks like the old super Mario brothers graphics, not super Nintendo, but the original Nintendo. Um, so it kind of has that blocky look, not a new thing for Mega Man. In fact, some say the best Mega Man games look that way. In fact, there was rehashes of Mega Man games, uh, or not rehashes, actually reboots or new. They, they were sequels, uh, over the past few years called Mega Man nine and then Mega Man 10, where, you know, they went back to the, back to this eight bit look and the games were incredibly hard. And a lot of new gamers who never played Mega Man before, you know, were just taken aback and were in awe. Because, wow, whoever played anything like this? And this is so difficult compared to the ease of a lot of modern games. 
Anyway, so Mega Man versus Street Fighter, it, it like I said, the 8-bit platform is is not new for Mega Man, but for Street Fighter it is. And that's an interesting thing to see, is to see, you know, these Street Fighter characters in 8-bit. It's pretty funny. And, and it plays like a Mega Man game more than it does a Street Fighter game. You know, and then these, you know, the Street Fighter characters are bosses that Mega Man has to take on. Now, you know, I'd be remiss without saying that Mega Man has taken on uh, Street Fighter characters before in the very popular um, like uh, Marvel versus Capcom games uh, or SNK versus Capcom where, where you could choose, uh, you know, you could choose Mega Man and then essentially, you know, you, the person you're taking on or the computer could choose uh, Ryu from, from Street Fighter or, or Guile or M. Bison. And so, so that's not new either. But it is so unique. It is so fun. It is very hard. It's a simple install. There aren't a whole lot of settings to mess with. Um, I will say this. I will give you the tip that when you do install, when you download it, again, it's totally free. We'll link to it um, in the show notes and at SovereignTech.tumblr.com. Um, when you download it, and it's a quick download, uh, and, and after you install it, restart your computer. Uh, I've noticed, I've heard some people say that it was, it was lagging after you restarted, it was fine. Uh, also I've heard people say that like their controllers weren't recognized, but after they restarted, it was also fine. And I mean, restarting the entire computer, turning it off. Some people don't turn their computers off and that's okay. Uh, but you're going to want to do that after you install this. And it is, it is a great, just a fun little game. Um, you could probably beat it in a day. You know, I've heard some people do that, but, uh, but, it, but it's cool, you know, and, and it's the reason it came out is because it's Mega Man's 25th anniversary that actually started last year in 2012, but it's still going on, you know, technically uh, into 2013. And they haven't done a whole lot for Mega Man as to where they've given Street Fighter, you know, this really red carpet, uh, you know, praise um, and treatment. Uh, for, you know, for, for it being 25 years since, since Street Fighter, uh, Street Fighter two, I think actually it was, or no, it, it was Street, Street Fighter one came out. Um, I mean, they, they've gone all out with that. It's worth Mega Man. He's really hasn't gotten any love. Um, other than there is a great, great comic book series by Archie comics th- uh, about Mega Man. And I think it's actually better than their Sonic the Hedgehog comic series, which that's, that's a pretty strong statement. Um, if you're a reader of those and, so so this is great that there's just this nice free it's like no you know what we'll just put that out there and i think if i'm not mistaken and i and there's the development of this game is still like there's not a whole lot said but i think it was actually made by by like a fan and capcom just thought it was so awesome that they they went to officially push it and so good on good on capcom because Capcom, not just the fact that they haven't released much for the 25th anniversary of Mega Man, but Capcom has been pretty disrespectful to Mega Man in general in recent years since Mega Man 10, that being the last time that they were respectful, because that, that was a great game. But they came out with a game called uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 3, like I mentioned earlier. And in that one, as compared to 1 and 2, uh, Mega Man is treated, there, there's like, you get cutscenes when you, you know, when you go through a storyline with a specific character. And if you went through it with Mega Man and you get to like the ending cutscenes, he's this like really obese kind of weird and, and acts, you know, looking little guy and he acts goofy. Um, and, and it, it was just totally disrespectful because Mega Man is known. Uh, especially for people who love robots, you know, is known as being like really cool. Like he's a symbol of cool and roboticism, uh, you know, or even in transhumanist circles, he's, he's kind of like a lot of people look to that as, 
you know, the early influence of cool, uh, for, uh, you, you know, for the, for those type of things. And for Capcom to really snub it like that so badly, I mean, and you can find these videos on YouTube and it's terrible. I mean, you know, if, if you're a really passionate gamer, it'll make you cry. And, you know, so, so this is good. This is good to get this, uh, because I think everybody wanted a Mega Man 11 and I don't know if we'll ever get that, but we did get this. Um, something I would like to see admittedly though, is I'd like to see the aforementioned games, Mega Man nine and 10 make their way onto the PC. I play them on my PC, but I have the Wii versions that came out for the Nintendo Wii. And I have a Wii emulator called dolphin on my PC. Uh, this is something I've talked about before too. One of the beauties of PCs is that you can emulate other systems and you always want things to run natively if you can help it. But, uh, but it is handy to, and sometimes it takes a little finagling. It takes a little work. You know, this isn't stuff that you can just install and double click and you're good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I play Wii games with, I have a Wii remote and everything and I, and I go to town. So anyway, we'll be back with more Sovereign Tech in just a moment. Are you searching for a mouth-watering, all-natural, sweet and sticky treat? What if I told you it was also made by a chef who believes in freedom, just like you? You're not dreaming. This is real. Head over to mandrik.com. That's M-A-N-D-R-I-K.com. There you'll find George's famous baklava in classic and dark chocolate flavors. Mm. To those with special health needs, George's famous baklava also has a treat for you. Golden Delicious Low-Carb Gluten-Free Almond Cookies. Order with PayPal or Bitcoins. In just a few days, your sweet treats will await you right at your doorstep. One more time, that's M-A-N-D-R-I-K dot com for George's Famous Baklava. Hacker Stories It is time for Hacker Stories, where we talk about the some of the true heroes of the world, that being hackers. And this week, I'm just going to read an, a nice, it's a short little story. Um, I am a subscriber to 2600 Magazine. I think it may be one of the few magazines that are actually worth owning in this world, because it doesn't really have like a bent um, as to where most magazines, you know, are trying to sell you something. 2600 might even be like anti-selling sort of like ad bust ad busters. Um, but, uh, you know, in any case, they, they do similar to what I do here on sovereign tech on showing you how to, how technology sets you free and they do a much better job. Uh, so if I get the chance to prop them and, and, you know, and even read from, from some of the stories that they get sent in, that's great. And, and this is an older story, uh, from 2600, but it's from the summer of 2005 and it's by, uh, uh, I don't know if he's a child when, he, uh, when he wrote this or not, but the author is Globus. Usually their authors are anonymous. In fact, there's some very popular anonymous authors on there. Anyway, the story is called fun with school ID numbers. And this is by Globus. I attend a medium sized high school with about 1000 students and a few hundred faculty members. Our district has several elementary, junior, and senior high schools. Every student and faculty member has a unique ID number for many uses that I will get into later. Although I may show you ways to circumvent a certain school security, please insert the standard disclaimer here and don't do anything stupid. Globus is saying don't get caught. 
and the discovery. An art student at my school was working on a project one afternoon when I came into the art room. The student had used the barcode generator from a, from barcodesinc.com to generate a random code for artistic expression in her project. Anyways, I was passing through on my way to lunch when I noticed this. With wallet in hand and eyes on my student ID card, the light bulb flashed. I should see if I can recreate my own barcode online, the barcode on a student ID. So for the fun of it, I tried. Using the proper symbols, which I guessed, I was able to make a JPEG file of my ID card's barcode. Well, this is all good, but what use is this to me if it's my own number? So I found a friend who willingly gave me his number, and I got to work the application. Using plain old MS Word, that's Microsoft Word, I was able to print up the proper sized barcode to fit in on the back of my card. Using my friend's ID number on my card, we went up to the lunch line. Lunch was almost over, so it was fairly quiet. I had the lunch lady check the balance on the account, and sure enough, my friend's name showed up on the screen. She reminded me that I only had $5 left in my account, and we happily returned back to the art room. Once we got there, I got to thinking. The possibilities. This ID is used for not only lunch accounts, but also computer logins, book checkouts, and teachers have many other uses for them. I brought my findings to my computer class teacher. He was shocked and amazed that the account numbers are as accessible and reproducible as they are. He had me copy his ID for him, and it was a carbon copy of his. Being that he is on staff and that he was once a computer repairman for the district, he reminded me of the access that his card granted him. His barcode, along with other teachers, could be read and used to gain access to the school. If activated, his card would give him the right to go to the main district server room. Going to my next class, I remembered that I was able to access my grades mass listing of student ID numbers. By going up a few levels from my user account on, on our network, I was able to see all the ID numbers for every student in alphabetical order. Conclusion. I asked my computer class teacher to bring this to the attention of the right people and not implicate me on the way. He did, and we're, we're waiting for the change to take place. Until then, I plan on paying for my lunch with cash. So again, so again, that's from the summer of 2005. It's by Globus. And, you know, sometimes these stories in 2600, uh, you know, you can debate how legit they are, um, if, you know, if any of that actually happened. Um, but, you know, there's no, it, it's a pretty straightforward story. I don't see any reason to doubt it. Uh, but it's interesting that, you know, here, here's this kid, and this is kind of how these stories always go. But here's this kid that figures out, you know, he just thinks and he's like, oh, yeah, there's there's a security flaw here. Um, and this is something that has become very popular where where hackers, genuine hackers are getting hired by companies to find their security flaws. Uh, Kevin Mitnick, who may be the number one hacker of all time, um, you know, he has his own, you know, Mitnick Securities uh, company that, that deals with these things, you know, constantly. And a story like that, you know, if Kevin Mitnick was here talking, he would say, oh, yeah, yeah, that 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 sort of stuff goes on all the time. Um, so, you know, there's these privacy holes, you know, that exist and you know, just let, I mean, that's the thing, as long as you don't criminalize. Now, interestingly enough, that Globus may have came forward because he was concerned that, uh, or it could be a she, it could very well be a she, I, I apologize. Um, you know, it was very much concerned that, you know, he or she's going to get caught, that Globus is going to get caught, and, you know, if, you know, if, uh, if he does something 
you know, crazy, like, like breaking into certain parts of the school or whatever. Um, but you know, I bet here's my main problem is I bet Globus didn't get any kind of reward for finding such a wonderful thing. If I was the computer teacher, I'd be like, you know, here, look, you know, you save the school. And, and instead, I mean, it seems like the computer class teacher was pretty cool about everything and understood and had a good deep appreciation for hackers, which is great. Uh, young and old, you know, but, um, but the, these are the things, you know, these people don't need to, this is one of the main points I try to bring up with, with hackers during hacker stories. These people don't need to be condemned. Okay. They're saving you more trouble than you know, and they're doing it without you even knowing about it. Nobody knew that that was, you know, that that was going on. And who knows, other people could have figured it out and they've been exploiting it forever and people could be, you know, kids could be losing lunch money out of the whole thing. Um, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm glad they're not getting beat up for their lunch money, but it's still kind of getting taken, you know, just through electronic means in this case. And, you know, there is, there is something to having technology kind of, uh, you know, kind of decentralized like that to where you can try all these different systems and you can figure out which one works best. And obviously that's a system that doesn't work very well. And if anybody, I, I mean, I kind of hope it's fine if it really is fine if you do, but if you're listening to the show and you happen to work for a school and you use that system, you might want to contemplate that, even though that story is from 2005. Um, but you know, really that, you know, I wish that, that, that kid, I wish Globus told his parents, about it. And I would wish that Globus's parents were, you know, wow, you're a brilliant kid and would recognize and, and give the kid a, you know, meet the kids, uh, you know, need of recognition, uh, because children do have a need for recognition. Teenagers have a need for recognition. Adults have a need for recognition. I have a need for recognition, you know, and, yeah, I hope I hope that that was that that was accomplished. That that some recognition properly so you know was given, um, be it just in words or you know something. You know, like I said, if I was the computer class teacher, I would have gave the kid like a hundred bucks. I said, wow, bravo, you know, and I would have maybe recommended them to you know MIT or something. I mean, even though this isn't like this isn't hard code or anything, this is more of a almost a social engineering uh, a bit of hacking which social engineering hacking is where you, you get the information you want, not by cracking code, you know, not by breaking into computer systems, but by like talking to somebody at a company or something or a school and getting the information from them that you need to get in to, you know, uh, to a place's uh, systems. And so, I mean, to some degree that there was, some, there was definitely some social engineering going on there, you know, between friends, and, you know, these, these are the things, but this isn't something to be punished, you know, now maybe he only came forward because he was afraid of the threat of punishment, but at the same time, you know, he, you know, the Globus shouldn't have been concerned, shouldn't have been afraid that, you know, he probably, Globus probably knew what, you know, what happens to hackers and they do, they get treated really, really bad. Uh, Bradley Manning possibly, you know, or, or WikiLeaks or any of the guys in anonymous, you know, go down the list of names and what happens to them. And they shouldn't live with that fear, you know, especially, especially a teenager or kid. Um, you, you know, there, there's no need for them to be worried that they're going to go to jail because they figure out something that was just, you know, a, a, an insecure setup, 
you know, and, and set up by somebody who, who just didn't notice or wasn't thinking or that maybe they were, maybe they were thinking and maybe just technology caught up. Like I said, they use the, the bar, the, the barcodes, uh, inc.com, you know, webpage to, to create barcodes. Um, you know, maybe that technology didn't exist when the school system put this system, you know, the barcode system into place. And you know, how could you punish a kid for that? You know, the, the, he didn't invent the barcode, you know, uh, creating technology by any means. Uh, he just had access to it. And what you're going to, you want to throw him in jail or you want to expel him. Maybe he would have gotten expelled or even give him detention, which is a joke of a punishment for children. I mean, school's a joke enough, but, but let alone the, the kind of punishments that that system hashes out. And, you know, so it's something to think about, you know, especially with the younger people. I mean, how we treat them, you know, I mean, that's going to speak on in generations, uh, it, it really is. And, and, and young people like that, like Globus, I mean, that's the, those are the kind of people you want working for you because they can figure things out like Sir Isaac Newton. Okay. You want to talk about genius. Isaac Newton didn't have anything to fall on. And somehow he figured out so much in the physical world. Anyway, fair comparison. This is Brian Sovereign and we'll be back with more. This is Stephanie Murphy, Sovereign Tech Producer. You may know me from this show, but did you know that I have my own podcast? It's called Pork Therapy. Pork Therapy is a bit different from other shows. We cover current events, big ideas, and even relationship issues, all through the lens of how we can get more freedom in our lives. Oh, and you'll love Sex and Science Hour. Join me on my website, porktherapy.com. That's P-O-R-C therapy.com. Now back to Sovereign Tech. doing i can't believe i caught you again you know jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours i know baby i know it's wrong but it feels so right well it ain't but i've been doing it since i was 12 years old (sighs) it's nothing but a sinful perversion of nature if you ask me but baby i don't ever want to stop looking at tech websites new gadgets video games software or any of that stuff well Then I'm leaving. Okay. Bye. Pick of the Week. It is Pick of the Week where I, Brian Sovereign, the Rembrandt of the podcast canvas, gets to talk about whatever I want to talk about. I pick something and then I get to extrapolate on it. Uh, And it can be anything. It could be a product. It could be a website. It could be... Um, you know, some software, it could be just something I'm thinking about, but it's pick of the, it's pick of the week. And this week I'm, I'm kind of sticking on the trend of entertainment and this week I'm, I'm going to go full scope with this. I could break up this, this conversation, you know, over tons of episodes, uh, because there's so much great quality stuff in what I'm about to talk about. But, uh, tr- the Tron series by Disney that's Tron T R O N. And this is something, you know, I mean, I grew, I was born in 1981 and when, when Tron, Tron came out in like 82 or 84, something like that. Anyway, in that time frame, 
you know, they, they released like these, uh, you know, these old golden book record books and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, movie tie-ins were pretty popular then, especially after star Wars came out in 1977. And so there was a lot of Tron stuff out there and you'd look at it. And, and if you've ever seen the movie, if you haven't seen it, look it up, just type it in type Tron in, in Google images, and you're going to see the most unique things you'll ever see put on celluloid. I mean, it, it, it it's, it's, I can't describe it. You know, it's all neon and lines and, you know, it looks like people wearing circuit boards, but it doesn't look like what you think when you, when you instantly think people wearing circuit boards, it looks cool. It looks, you know, it, it looks fresh. It looks, it looks futuristic. It still looks futuristic. In fact, the original film from the eighties still looks so unique. There's nothing like it. Even they made a new movie, uh, which we'll also talk about. In I believe 2010 called Tron legacy. And this was a direct sequel. Uh, and in fact, I mean like the, the amount of time, the time when, when Tron, like when the original Tron came out and Tron legacy came out, they actually, they did it real time. They, they said, okay, you know, yeah, this will be 20, 25 years later. And the new movie Tron legacy, while that looks totally unique in its own right, still doesn't look as like far out and futuristic as the original Tron. And arguably it could be said it's not as fun either because the first Tron, I mean, they were like, they use all this like, uh, kind of, kind of weird language, sort of like the original Battlestar Galactica did, which I think is really great when they use, when they come up with their own words, uh, you know, they kind of create their own, uh, uh, lingo, you know, and, and, and their own slang, um, to use in these things, which often lets them get away with doing swear words. Um, but anyway. Tron is really cool. And what it's about the, what the whole story is about. There's also a cartoon series that, uh, um, that Disney's doing right now in Disney XD and it's called Tron uprising equally great, just as great as, as either of the two movies. Um, what Tron is, is it's this person, you know, this character Flynn, this is how it starts. Anyway, this character Flynn gets beamed into by a laser beam gets, gets digitally translated into a computer, you know, in, into, this is like the reverse of, uh, it's almost like a reverse version of the matrix, but obviously it came out long before the matrix did. And it's a lot better. Um, and, and so he, so it's him as a human, you know, a, a, a digital representation of a human, you know, go, dealing with, uh, you know, being living inside a computer. And one of the artistic touches that, that the movies and, and the cartoon series try, that the whole series tries to make is that, you know, the computer, the virtual realm is no different than the, you know, the physical realm. Um, or at least they're very similar. In fact, it'll even do like cuts where it shows, you know, circuit boards. And then it has like an over an overlook of uh, New York city, which, you know, looks very grid like and New York city is set up like a grid. It's not like Boston where I don't know what anybody was thinking when they designed Boston. Um, and when, when you see that, I mean, I don't know if there's a deep message there, but one overlying message of the whole thing, maybe not so much with the cartoon because the cartoon, though the cartoon does have some very interesting, what you could say are libertarian messages, um, about the state being controlling, you know, of course, you know, that's, that's implying that in the computer world, there's like a state, uh, you know, so those messages are there. But, you know, one of the messages it does say is that technology can set us free 
and technology is the answer to so many things. And that, that's really the overarching message of all this stuff. But beyond that, you know, there's tremendous action. Uh, the music, the music, the original movie, the, the music in it is, is kind of like really weird synthy electronic stuff. Uh, it doesn't have, I don't, I can't think of other than electronic. There's no style that I can imagine that it, that it goes under. Uh, it's made by Wendy Carlos, uh, who before she was Wendy Carlos was actually Walter Carlos. Kudos to her and kudos to Disney for, for hiring her, um, you know, as, as, as trans and, um, you know, there's music by journey and, and there's some other stuff in there too. But, but anyway, the, the main thing was what Wendy Carlos did and that's very unique stuff. And when you hear it, I mean, again, it is, it is incredibly unique, just as unique as the original film is Tron legacy. You have Daft Punk, the amazing, uh, you know, duo there, uh, of musicians doing the, the soundtrack and, and, and it may be the greatest soundtrack of all time. Uh, I mean, it is just so cool, smooth, and I mean, there's points where you can dance to it. There's points where, you know, you want to run to it. Uh, there, there's points where it's just, you know, awesome stuff. And you know, uh, Tron Uprising, the cartoon has, they, they've just recently released the soundtrack for that as well. And it's just as good. It's just as good. So it is unique. The whole Tron series is kind of unique in that, you know, everything that's come out of it has been pretty much quality. There was even a game called Tron Evolution that you could play for, I think it came out for PS3, um, Xbox 360 and PC. And that like put in kind of parkour elements, which I'm a huge fan of parkour being like free running. Um, you know, you can look that up on YouTube and that, that that's beautiful things to watch, you know, the human body and that kind of motion. Um, but you know, again, everything's really good that comes out of this. And it's a business that, you know, Disney could really take, take to the heights and why they ignored it for so long. I'm not sure. Maybe it was because now they could actually make it look cool again, um, as to where maybe there wasn't a very cost effective way to try and recreate what they had in the, you know, in the 1980s. Uh, there was another game for the series that came out a while ago called Tron 2.0. And I remember when that came out, I think that was like 2000, 2004, 2003, 2004. And that was awesome. Um, they've gotten, and they always do really top notch work with, with anything Tron related, uh, like Bruce Boxleitner, who actually does the voice or plays Tron in the original movie. Uh, Bruce Boxleitner, you'd also know from the amazing, the, the genuine greatest television show of all time, Babylon five. Um, he happens to be part of Tron as well. Uh, and, you know, they always get him to do the voices and he's always, you know, very, very gracious to do that, uh, because he's just a class guy, um, much more so than anybody who's ever played Dr. Who or anyone who's ever been on the new Battlestar Galactica. Uh, he's a real class act and he, you know, and, and he does, you know, anything related to it to, uh, to push it forward. Cause I, I think he knows, you know, that, that people really connect with it. I, th- I, and I think that's it. I think so many, a lot, especially a lot of nerds, uh, which I love, which I am one, um, you know, Tron kind of, kind of makes us think, you know, yeah, what, what if there is life in the computer or what, you know, what would it be like to, to live digital, to really live full on digital lives and things like that. And it gives you an interesting preview of what that might be, uh, totally much like the movie hackers, perhaps completely unrealistic, but it's a lot of fun. And, and there are some deep thoughts in it. Like even in, in the movie Tron legacy, there is the message that, um, you know, chaos is perfection that to try and create 
an orderly system because Flynn's that, that was like Flynn's mission was to make the perfect computer system, uh, or computer network actually. Uh, he, he finds out as he does that, that actually, you know, um, that stabilization is chaos. You know, that perfection comes from the fact that there is no central planning. There is no controlling hand in, you know, in, in, in making things work the best and one person can't do it. It's kind of, I mean, it, it almost has a similar message to, uh, to Leonard Reed's, uh, I believe it's Leonard Reed, I pencil, um, which is, you know, the I pencil is this really short story, very popular about what it takes to make a pencil. It's like a pencil's life. And when you find out that it takes, you know, hundreds of people to make one pencil and the division of labor, how great that is. Um, so that message is kind of there that, you know, perfection's all around you. It's just perfection isn't what you think. It's not perfection as in like, oh, that, you know, that's, that's perfectly symmetrical, symmetrical and all that stuff. Um, and, and it's, it's a good, kind of a Zen sort of message, I suppose. But I think it, I think it fits in with, uh, very much with anarchist thought, uh, which I fully support. So the Tron series, you know, there's, there's Tron, the movie Tron legacy, and then Tron uprising, which is still playing. And, and, uh, I haven't seen any recent ratings reports, but it was getting, you know, tremendous ratings. Uh, so check all of that out and, you know, just great stuff. I I've been watching it since I was a kid and I know that can create a certain degree of fondness. Um, you know, when you've enjoyed something as a child, cause it gives you like that child warmth feeling, but this really, I, everybody that, that I've kind of shown it to that had, like had never seen it before just goes, wow. You know, and this stuff in the eighties or now are both state of the art. Like one of the things that Tron legacy did was they actually overlaid, um, Jeff Bridges face with a, with a computer generated younger version of himself. And it looks great. I mean, you have to see it to believe it. It looks really cool. And this could be really great technology because Disney owns it, owns both of these. They own that technology and they own Star Wars. This could be great technology for the next Star Wars movies. Maybe we can get some more Luke Skywalker action, uh, which, you know, the next couple of years are going to be great as far as Star Wars news goes. But that's besides the point. Let's get back to it. Uh, you know, Tron, check it out. The entire Tron series, check it all out. It, it's great. And this has been another episode of Sovereign Tech. And, uh, I hope you like, maybe I might, I was thinking, you know, at, while I'm doing this show, I might have to make it a little bit longer. Uh, I didn't feel like, you know, there was a couple points where I didn't think I get, I got to go into everything long enough. So, you know, if you feel, let me know. Some people have emailed me, but feel free to email me at sovereign tech at hush.ai or talk to me on Tumblr, sovereigntech.tumblr.com. Uh, we also have a YouTube page now. That's at sovereign tech or that's at youtube.com slash user slash sovereign tech S O V R Y N, you know, and, and leave me, you know, talk to me, let, let me know, you know, if, if you want more, if you want it longer. Um, and also still, we have a ton of great specials coming out that I'm coordinating with, uh, with some great people on, um, one of them, which might shock you. It's about dolphins. Uh, but I got another one coming out about robots. Uh, we're going to talk about some, uh, some cypherpunks, uh, you know, all kinds of things. And of course we have the Bitcoin special coming up yet still. So stay tuned, uh, cause the show's just going to get better with time and, you know, and, and things are going to come out at least once a week, but 
I have, like I said, as I just told you, I have so much stuff lined up. It's going to end up, you know, coming out a lot sooner than that. Uh, and I'm really excited for it and still got tons of great guests coming up. If there's someone you'd actually like me to try and get in touch with to have on the show, you can email me about that. Let me know. Let me know what you want. Okay. I mean, I'm going to do what I want by and large, but I want to know what you want. All right. Anyway, thanks. This has been Brian Sovereign and you've been listening to Sovereign Tech. I'll see you next time. This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at SovereignTech.tumblr.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.T-U-M-B-L-R.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds. Nerds.